welcome to Adam and Eve on CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton and around the world on CJSR.com. My name is Michelle Dang. And my name is Len Chan. And we'll be your host for today's episode of Adam and Eve. Thanks for tuning in. You just heard a snippet of Durian Eyes by Cutsleeve in our intro. As you might remember, on last week's episode, we conducted an interview with Cutsleeve, a queer East Asian female rock band. This is a second part of a feature on representation of Asian women in media. This time, we are featuring a discussion with Carol Jacob, Michelle Ding, and myself on general representation of Asians in media. First, let's take a listen to our discussion with Carol Jacob. Tonight we are joined with Carol Jacob. Carol, did you just want to give us a quick intro of yourself? Sure. I am 21 years old. I live in Chicago and I've been living in Chicago for two and a half years. I moved from Edmonton and my cultural background, I'm South Asian, specifically Indian. Just for the listeners at (laughs) home, both me and Wen are Chinese. So I thought we could maybe just share our first memory we had where you saw yourself represented in media or life. I think for a long time, the representation I saw of someone like me was very stereotypical. And I kind of ignored that part and I just tried to go with whatever I saw. So that involved me like fitting into those stereotypes because I thought that's what was normal. I think now when I see especially South Asian actresses being in TV shows, like we have Mindy Kaling, we have Jamila Jamil in The Good Place, which is very recent. So I think that's more now I relate to. Could you describe what type of representation you were looking for? I would like to see just a brown woman who isn't the IT person or, I don't know, the the best friend who doesn't get dates or isn't, you know, socially acceptable or whatever. And also, I think adding to that, having someone who has multiple dimensions to them, not just, like I said before, fitting into that stereotype. I think that's something that we're starting to see now. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like all TV characters or book characters with that brown or person of color, they're always like the best friend of a white person and right. they're just stock characters. Yeah, or they have really very stereotypical parents and they yeah. can't you know, do this, they can't do that. And I understand some of the truth to it, but it's, I don't know, I think they exaggerated so much. And I think part of that is not having brown writers or brown directors and, you know, not really understanding that experience yourself and just using your stereotypes to guide that character. Yeah, definitely. Like along with like diversity, quote unquote, in media, I feel like it's always just as a token. It's never genuine because every time you see like characters being represented that are of a minority, Mm -hmm. it's never being written by that minority. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Right. Which is why I think, you know, Mindy Keeling, I know there's some issues surrounding her show, but I think having her as a writer on shows that she's part of makes a big difference. And I think it's helpful to see someone in a role that's not only leading, but kind of atypical. So in her own show she's kind of a dick but I mean I don't know if that's a good thing but at least she's going past something and making viewers think about a person that's brown that's past what they have in their mind 
I feel like when people talk about Asians, it's kind of hinting at a certain type of Asian. Like usually when we say that, I think people associate like East Asian more than、mm. people in different areas who are still Asian.、Definitely. So how do you kind of identify as Asian or not? You know what? I think I'm sometimes I I catch myself doing that when I say like they're Asian. I automatically am、mm. thinking about East Asian. So what I started to do now is I specifically say South Asian, and I think that has helped me make that part of my. Identity as well. Yeah, and I feel like that grouping of just East Asian, South Asian—it's so big too. Within、yeah. that, there's so、oh、much、God. diversity、Absolutely. in one culture. And I think when it comes to school, the categorizations were even when they lumped everyone like South Asian, East Asian. We all had like similar characteristics according to the eyes of other people. You know, like oh, they all just study really hard and they have really strict parents. And I think there are similar stereotypes like that. So maybe it felt okay to just group us all together. Yeah, and as a kid, and even now, it feels kind of like a community. There's、Definitely. something binding. Even just for me, every space I'm in, I kind of look out for that Asian. In person and、definitely. see if I always feel more comfortable kind of talking to people of color、I、than、so. white people. Definitely, I I feel that too. And surprisingly, I felt that more as I've grown older. I feel like when I was in in school, like when we were in school, I think we were just. <laughs> I feel like it was just fed into our brain, and we normalized it so much that everything that majority, I mean, majority of our school is white.、So、everything that they did, we just thought that was a norm. So we would push ourselves to act that way. So I thought like everyone is super friendly and everyone's so nice, and they. You know, they asked me about my culture, but really it was just them. Well, now I'm thinking maybe some of it was just them trying to make themselves feel better. Maybe there was some guilt there. But as I got older and I started learning a little bit more about my identity and the the relationship between cultures, I think that I started to get more uncomfortable. So, like you said, now like specifically when there are women of color, I feel more confident when I'm there or when I'm in a group meeting or something like that. Totally, there's kind of that shared understanding that you've、yeah. been through something similar, shared trauma.、Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sucks that it took us. I mean, for me, it took me this long to kind of realize it because I always idealized like a lot of my teachers and the people I considered friends. But now I'm thinking like maybe I should have called them out when they made racist comments that I didn't think was racist at the time. Also, like I was, I was an immigrant. I moved to Canada when I was in grade three, so I was trying to be normal because I was bullied a lot when I was, you know, when I just started school there. So I feel like I really, really tried to like overcompensate by being as white as. <laughs> I remember actually the first day you came. That was、Go、when、ahead. all my friends left. They moved or something happened,、yeah. and then I remember the night before praying to God because I was forced into Christianity. Of、uh, maybe you cut that too. But, <laughs> um, I was like, please give me a friend. And then the next day, I remember you showed up, and I was like, bless a person of color too, because like the whole class as well was like、That's、pretty、so、much white. It's also kind of like scary to think about. Like at such a young age, you're already thinking. About that without even understanding what like racism、mm-hmm. is, you're already、yeah. thinking like, please, like, can I have someone on my side even though I don't know what、mm-hmm. side I'm on? I've just been like forced、it's、into this. So, totally, so yeah.、Weird. So I guess kind of attaching your experience moving to Canada as an immigrant, how do you kind of navigate your identity in Canada and your own ethnic identity you've grown up with? I I think this is also something we can all relate to, but there was a period of time where I just ignored my own culture, and it was probably like starting. 
school in Canada, trying to, you know, maintain that for like most of until about I'd say high school is when I was like, why am I doing this all the time? It would be little things like I would if I were to hear music in my language, I would like turn it down, or I wouldn't do it until I get home. Or like I wouldn't tell people that I danced. And it was just because I wouldn't want them to ask like, Oh, what kind of dance do you do? And I had to explain like, Oh, it's a specific, you know, traditional dance. And they'd be like, Oh, show me a move. And I just didn't want that. So I would just, I just ignored it for a while. And I think the difficult part about that is you're a different person in school and the public sphere. And then you go home to your immigrant parents and you're an immigrant and you're like in your own language and there's like clashes that happen. So it was difficult because you were kind of like living two lives at this really young age. And I think it- The OG like, Hannah Montana. <laughs> Honestly, yes. That's the both worlds. Oh my god. wig <laughs> and people thought she was different. I don't get it. But still love that show. It was great. I yes, I think it there definitely was something there. And I think that definitely increased anxiety a little bit and just how you act in social situations because I always felt like I had to put on a mask and relate to people the way they expect instead of, you know, just speaking my truth. So I think that was difficult, but getting older and starting to appreciate things a little bit more, like my culture has a lot to offer. And again, I think part of the seeing people in media that look like me and act like me and they're not in these stereotypes, I think that also helps you become a little bit more proud. Another thing is like no one talked about it when we were in that age, you know, we just kind of like fun of ourselves, like I would make fun of my own race all the time. Yeah. And I hate yeah, I feel super weird now trying to reclaim what being Chinese means to me. What's mm-hmm. your kind of relationship with that? I think a lot of it for me is talking to my parents about it and, you know, asking a little bit more about our, our culture and, you know, how, I mean, we're also Catholic. So kind of how colonization has influenced us in many ways. So part of that is my religion or like how I was with. So I think just asking them about it, you know, finding authentic articles and stories so I can actually understand it a little bit more finding you know even Facebook groups there's like all these brown girl groups and you know we just everybody just talks about like situations they face and give support to each other and I think it's great when you have something like that subtle Asian treats y'all <laughs> I'm still not added to that ah, do you want to be <laughs> it has its there's, actually there's like five different subgroups because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the one was really misogynistic so then the girls made another one and then there's also a queer one the queer one's the best one I think yeah I think that's an awesome leeway though to kind of of how you're seeing representation in different ways through media of your own identity. Sure. Can you kind of talk to that a bit more? Yeah, um, there's a few that I'm thinking about, you know, I think the first person I have to talk to is Hassan Minhaj. He has a Netflix show now. It's called The Patriot Act. I've been watching him for a long time because he was on like late night comedy shows and things like that. What I really like about Hassan is that he doesn't, I feel like sometimes when you see brown people in media, they do use those stereotypes to like kind of get an edge and kind of make fun of, you know, some of the some of the issues, I guess, going on in the community. But he really uses the platform to bring attention to a lot of different issues and not just in the South Asian community like a lot of his episodes are you know US based but there's also lots of global issues that he talked about and I think using his platform for that and also using his experiences like he's Muslim and his experiences with how he lived in the US after 9-11 and the racism he experienced and using that kind of using that to shape how he talks about other issues I think is really cool and I think it's really fun so you guys should check it out for sure. I just like that, again, it's someone who isn't, you know, obviously it's not a movie, it's not a supporting role, but he also is a humorist. And I feel like that's not a trait that's often associated with South Asian people, or I think Asian people in general, like the stereotype never talks about that. But I think we're great. We're hilarious.
I used to watch Lily sing a lot. She she was a YouTuber. She went by Superwoman. I liked her growing up because I think that she was like one of the only YouTubers that I could relate to. And I think her videos were fun and, you know, like it was good for a younger audience. I think the problem I have with her as I got older is kind of like what I mentioned before, like using your identity as the joke over and over again. And kind of, I think in some ways we'll say that she sometimes has like, I don't know how to word it. I'll, I'll come back to it. But what's cool now is that she does have a late night show and she's also a queer brown woman. So I think having that intersectionality is really cool to see and being represented because I didn't think there was like an other queer person until like, you know, you go on these like support groups and these Facebook groups and I think that really pushed me to look for more of that, which is great. Yeah, it's such like a spotlight moment when you find that person mm-hmm. that for you sure. can relate to in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. I feel like so often where we connect to people, but in separate aspects, like Asian culture especially is separated and queer mm-hmm. Asians are so underrepresented that when they do show up, it's like this monumental thing, but it shouldn't be. There's billions of queer Asian people, but they're not given that platform. I think it's that in Western media specifically, like if you meet the Asian quota, they're like, they're fine. You know, they don't need the complexity of your character because they're like, we have a brown person. Like we have an East Asian person. We're good. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't want to explore that character more. Totally. They tokenize you. There's some concerns because of the way she talks or like she uses black terms and black language. She kind of, she doesn't directly claim it as her own, but I think that's an issue that stops me from watching her more now because I can see that art now. And I think that the excuse, like I grew up with black people isn't isn't really valid for you to start talking like them and then being that something that you then in some ways exploit for your own benefit. I hope that as more Asian artists are coming forward, I hope that they start to bring attention to those issues and even address like racism within our own communities like just because we're people of color doesn't mean we have everyone who's accepting of everybody there's lots of racism and lots of homophobia in the south asian community i know the indian community specifically so it's really hard to express your full identity in for me at least in like more traditional settings you'll just be penalized anytime you say anything like oh you're you know you're like speaking too much you're being too aggressive yeah i think like when you do just because we don't have enough of that representation when you finally see someone or like a piece of media that represents you so well but then you see that there's so many problems in it it's kind of hard to like criticize it just because you start saying these things and other people jump on it and then they're like this is why this kind of stuff shouldn't be made like like crazy rich asians for me like last year Mm -hmm. i wasn't into it i didn't like it i found that there were a lot of problems i had with it and it's important to like call that kind of stuff out like in in singapore right it's them just showing these like east asians specifically like Chinese people having the time of their lives all like billionaires and stuff while just completely ignoring you know everyone else in it I had a lot of problems with it but then like you start criticizing these things and then like white people jump on and then they're like yeah yeah I know (laughs) like I don't know you nailed it on the head I think like you said when you see someone who is so similar to your identity you're like I need to support this person but I think part of the power is like not supporting them if you don't believe in what they're saying because just because you have this one person I don't think they should be the bar that everybody else is set against like you should if you expect better you should get better so I think that's something that I was kind of disappointed with like when I I got really excited when I found out she's having the show and all that but you know trying 
trying to listen to it a little bit more, it, like I had to kind of turn it off. I mean, like I want to commend her for all the hard work she did because she, you know, she started from like just making YouTube videos and she made this like huge empire for herself and she's encouraged a lot of people to, you know, be themselves and be free and she talks about mental health. But I think that even though you're just starting out in this new platform, it's really important that you address some of these issues and like when you have interviews, like talk to people about real things. There was just nothing there and I, I couldn't really connect to it. That's why I think it's so important to be able to produce more of this kind of stuff so you can choose what you want to support instead of just being forced into like this thing because you're being represented like no I'm not being represented because I don't support these views just because they look like me I have to support this like no like you said you're 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 seen as a traitor to your culture if you say anything against them they're like oh why aren't you happy that they're you know on screen I'm like I am and you know it's not cancel culture where you just stop you know associating with that person or their work it's just like holding them accountable if they're doing something wrong and asking them to speak out about it because you do respect them and you respect their craft you know I think that accountability piece is so important to hold people who represent us especially accountable Mm -hmm. to how systemic racism and white colonialism has kind of leached into how we perceive ourselves how we kind of perform ourselves it's almost like a false sense like community Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah you know when like people are like yeah there's this new artist you'll probably really like them it's like, why? Because they're Asian. Uh, it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, actually, so there's the Democratic uh, candidates running for presidency next year. And there's a candidate named Kamala Harris, and she's half Indian and she's half black. And I've had a few people come up to me and be like, oh, you must like really support her. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and they're so, they're genuinely surprised because they just assumed I would automatically support her because she's half brown. And I'm like, no, I, you know, like I don't, her policies aren't what best align with what I think. And they're very surprised to hear that. And I'm like, I don't think you should, especially when it's someone who's supposed to lead a country. <laughs> like. I don't think that's a good way to go for it. Mm-hmm. My face is like getting hot. <laughs> I'm angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I think for me, I went to like a high school where 90% of the people were Asian. So okay. I feel like I had a really different experience. I grew up with a lot of Asian friends, just again, because I was kind of, you know, forced into that, but also because I felt that sense of community with them. We all have our different experiences. Just again, I would just like to see more more of us in media, just in front of screens, behind screens, writing stories and stuff mm-hmm. so I can actually have my pick of what I want to watch and not be forced into watching like crazy rich Asians just because Asians are in it. Like not every single person and not every single piece of media representing people of color are going to be perfect but we need more platforms for more opportunities for those people to show up where we need them to. Like white people have made so many bad films (laughs) and stuff. It's our turn. It's our turn to (laughs) make a shitty movie. (laughs) I I was talking to Wen about how like I was complaining to someone about how there isn't like Asian representation in Western films and stuff and then they just told me well Asian cinema exists and I'm like okay that's a completely different experience like Asians and diasporic Asians completely different like I do consume a lot of Asian cinema but you know I would like to see someone who's more like me yeah I feel like it's kind of been a picking and choosing of certain aspects of my culture that I I really do love but some other parts I'm having trouble navigating how I relate Mm -hmm. to that also with my parents probably bringing all these beliefs they'd had back from Hong Kong where they were from and then also having the pressures of trying to assimilate in to Canadian culture. Yeah, I think that's like a huge issue with like Mm -hmm. immigrant children first trying or like even wanting to connect with your culture first Mm -hmm. of all and then when you do there's the problem of criticizing it because there are things Mm -hmm. you have to be critical of right so like it it's just hard. (laughs) 
It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had a lot of resentment towards my parents for so long for kind of assimilating, assimilating in quotes into this white culture. I think in kindergarten, my dad told my mom to stop speaking Cantonese to us. And looking back at it right now, I for so many years, I used to resent that of my parents. But I also recognize now that it was kind of an act of survival in their case. They had to not have these absolutely. accents to be successful in their jobs and be taken seriously. So I guess now it's me trying to reclaim the parts of myself that I feel kind of lost from. Weird, because like first there's the resentment of why are you not white? Why are we not white? And then you get older and then it's like, why did you not teach me about my culture? Why are we not more, Mm -hmm. you know, it's weird. I feel bad for my parents. Sorry. (laughs) Mom and dad. (laughs) And then the added layer of being like an immigrant child that wants to support your parents because they gave up so much of their own identity and culture to come here. It's endless guilt and representation what were we doing? <laughs> maybe a way we can tie this together is how do we instead of looking for others to represent us how can we find that representation within communities among us even like the word community we could talk a, a lot God. about yeah i think the first part of it is just having conversations like we are now and you know when you talk to someone don't just make it like small talk you know talk about some of the issues that you, know, you feel you're facing or you can connect to people with and i think what you guys are doing now just do what you want like if you want to do something like this you know get it out there start something on your own give it a go if that's something you're passionate about go for it and there'll be people to support you because there are people who want to see people like us doing well because we work so hard and we deserve it and then i think with representation in spaces that are like predominantly white or something like that i think a lot of the time the the honest is on us as asians who you know put ourselves in there like advocate for ourselves and like obviously i think that's a very important thing to do but i also think that there's a huge responsibility responsibility for people who are already in those communities to be making space for us making space that like will make us feel comfortable all these spaces like just advocate yes we are a safe space or whatever but you go in there and then you see everyone who's still you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say i feel what you're trying to say yeah it's a feeling like everyone like all immigrants just know the feeling like you can't really explain it in words right just like read my (laughs) mind feel my soul of a feeling than a word exactly right you go in somewhere you see everyone's white Mm -hmm. and then your stomach just like drops and you're like i think just that step into taking up space is really difficult for me again why we need more representation if we see other people doing this at least makes me feel more brave to be doing this myself right You just heard our discussion on Asian representation in media with Carol Jacob. We'll close off our episode this week with one final song. The artist that we've chosen to highlight is Leah Do. Leah Do was born in Beijing but grew up living in all parts of the world. She is a singer-songwriter based in China who sings mostly in English. 
Liadou really connects to me because I also experienced this kind of tug of war between finding what my Chinese identity and also my identity growing up in Canada, how it kind of blends together. I feel like I'm in a perpetual hunt to find particularly East Asian people who have these similar experiences of this cultural mixing and clashing. And Liadou is another person that kind of helps me still unpack what that means to me, having a hybrid cultural identity. Totally agree on that. For me, I also find that her way of expressing herself is something that really attracts me to her as an artist. Her style, both in fashion and music, is experimental and unconventional. And seeing her push boundaries as an Asian woman myself is very inspirational. She's been dubbed the next Chinese pop prodigy by various sources, but she herself has stated that she does not feel like she fits in with China's pop scene. Now let's take a listen to See You Again by Leah Doe. It's hard to tell if the ship has sailed, but maybe you felt the same as well. The smell of summer and clementines. There you are. You're the perfect. of this week's episode of Adam and Eve, Edmonton's only feminist news program. We produce this week's episode in the studios of CJSR-FM 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on Treaty 6 territory. We are grateful to be in Emishkisli, Wiskaigan, the traditional territory of the diverse indigenous peoples of this land, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community. We recognize the complicated relationships we have with this land and all peoples on it. We encourage you to reflect on this relationship further and ask yourself what being accountable looks like to you in practice for yourself. Thank you very much today to our guest, Carol Jacob. Today's show was the finale of our two-part discussion on Asian representation in Western media. If you'd like to catch any shows you may have missed, we have uploaded our current shows on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the handle AdamandEveCJSR. Please check that out if you'd like to listen back on previous episodes. Adam and Eve is a spoken word project of CJSR-FM 88.5 in Edmonton, Alberta. 
and our journalism is funded by you, the listeners. For more information on our program and to send us any feedback, please contact us on our Facebook page under Adam and Eve or tweet at us at Adam and Eve, all one word. We're always looking for more volunteers to help out too, so if you're interested in learning any aspect of radio production, just get in touch. Thank you very much for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Michelle Dang and Len Chan. Have an Adam and Eve evening.